Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Tuesday, October 17, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. We're looking at a sizzling day in Riverside with highs peaking at 91 degrees, and tonight, a temperate cool down to 68. On today's episode, we take a deep dive into the resolution of a prominent lawsuit as the U.S. government agrees to provide social and legal benefits to the migrant families impacted by border family separation. The opioid crisis returns to our spotlight, with Rite Aid finding itself in the crosshairs of numerous lawsuits. Meanwhile, rural hospitals voice their concerns over the popularity surge of Medicare Advantage plans, and we discuss the increasing importance of naloxone access in combating teen overdose fatalities. Across borders in Bogota, we investigate an innovative program offering support to female family caregivers. And as we gear up for Medicare open enrollment, we delve into the present challenges of navigating the various options. Our food report covers calls to the FDA from advocates pushing for a ban on red number three synthetic food dye. Meanwhile, neuroscience leaps forward with the unveiling of the largest ever brain atlas offering insights into various neurological conditions. In legislative milestones, we explore the implications of California's recent law that makes it the first state to ban excited delirium as a cause of death. And finally, we reflect on the regional debate on LGBTQ rights sparked by India's Supreme Court rejecting the legalization of same-sex marriage. Plenty of stories and more coming up on Alex's News. Our top story of the day comes from the U.S.-Mexico border. The U.S. government has agreed to settle a lawsuit brought by migrant families who were separated at the border. This lawsuit is in response to the policy implemented under the Trump administration between 2017 and 2018 and significantly impacts future family separations. The details of the settlement are fascinating and touch many areas. Ethan, our news reporter, is here to dive deep into this situation. Good morning, Ethan. Good morning, Grace. Yes, the settlement brought forward by the ACLU stipulates several tenets designed to support affected families, a major overhaul from the previous administration's policy. Can we just start by understanding the main aspects of the settlement? Absolutely, Grace. Critically, it prohibits a blanket policy of family separation, which was an incident under the previous administration, and it provides for asylum requests and clear access to legal representation. It also includes essential mental health resources. Quite important to note, however, is that this settlement does not include monetary compensation. And how is the Biden administration responding to this issue? Since taking office, they've been actively working on this issue, Grace. A task force has been established to oversee the process of reuniting these separated families, and thus far, They've made some significant strides, having already reunited hundreds of families. However, I understand there's still a substantial number of children who remain tragically separated from their families? That's correct, Grace. Estimates suggest that there are still hundreds of children who are awaiting reunification with their parents, highlighting the enormity of this issue. Now, what potential implications or consequences can we expect from this settlement, especially for those families still separated? Predicting specific outcomes is challenging, Grace, but this settlement aims to better support the process of reunification. It should provide clearer avenues for families to follow in seeking asylum and ensuring access to legal counsel. Bear in mind, though, that this is still awaiting approval from a federal judge. 
Considering what we know now, Ethan, what other related factors could become relevant? Well, Grace, the absence of a provision for financial compensation could be a notable factor down the line. It's also critical to monitor the practical implementation of the agreed mental health resources. And, of course, the speed and efficiency of the reunification process will be watched closely, as this has been a major concern from the start. Very detailed and insightful, Ethan. We appreciate your thorough analysis of this complex and critical situation. My pleasure, Grace. Moving on to our second story for the day, which spotlights the ongoing opioid crisis and the legal, medical, and financial implications. Rite Aid, a well-known pharmacy chain, now faces a slew of lawsuits pertaining to its sale of opioid pain pills, such as OxyContin. Our reporter Chloe has been tracking this story. Chloe, can you fill us in on what's going on? Absolutely, Grace. So, Rite Aid and other pharmacy chains are in hot water for their role in America's opioid crisis. Now, this isn't a new issue, it's just that the financial strain of multiple lawsuits has pushed Rite Aid to file bankruptcy. It's a clear sign of how these lawsuits can financially cripple companies. We can't ignore the human cost of this crisis either. Can you speak about the scale of the problem? Chloe certainly. This crisis has led to a dramatic spike in addiction, overdoses, and deaths nationwide. There is growing consensus that pharmaceutical companies and pharmacies have to be held accountable for their role in fueling the problem. Looking at potential solutions, has there been any notable developments? Well, there's much needed attention on naloxone, a medication that can reverse opioid overdoses, particularly with the rise of synthetic opioids, like fentanyl. Last year, fentanyl was the main contributor to teen overdose deaths, with naloxone usage increasing in places like college campuses. Providing access to naloxone and educating people on its administration could help to control the opioid-related death toll. Switching gears a bit, we also have updates regarding the Medicare Advantage plans. What's the current concern? Chloe Medicare Advantage plans, while popular among seniors, are causing some concern for small-town hospitals. These privately run plans often have restricted networks of providers, and when small hospitals aren't included in these networks, it can get tough for them to maintain patient volume and stay financially viable. Reduced access to care for rural residents is the major risk here. In the midst of these healthcare challenges, any bright spots? Yes, Grace, there's some positivity coming from Bogota, Colombia. A program called Care Blocks has been initiated there to support female family caregivers, who often face disproportionate burdens. Resources like dance classes and job training are being offered to over a million female caregivers in Bogota to improve their quality of life. Chloe, before you wrap up, could you tell us a bit more about the issues with Red Number 3's synthetic food dye? Chloe the dye has been linked to cancer in rats and behavioral problems in children. Following a ban in California, calls are increasing for a nationwide ban by the FDA. Advocacy groups like the Center for Science in the Public Interest argue for its removal from the entire food supply. Some manufacturers have already done this voluntarily, but advocates assert that a national ban is the surest way to protect consumers. Thank you, Chloe, for in-depth reporting on these crucial topics. I'm happy to bring these stories to light, Grace. Thank you.
Our third and final story for today brings us to a significant legal ruling in India that concerns the LGBTQ plus community. We welcome our specialist correspondent, Ethan, who will help unpack this development. Ethan, it seems India's stance on same-sex marriage has been making headlines? Absolutely. Grace, it's a significant moment. The Indian Supreme Court has declined to adjudicate on the matter, effectively refusing to legalize same-sex marriage. This move is seen as a setback by the LGBTQ plus community, which had hoped for a positive shift in attitude similar to the court's 2018 ruling which decriminalized homosexuality. That would indeed seem like a setback, especially considering the progress made in recent years. Can you shed more light on the government's stance on this? Yes. The Prime Minister's government has consistently argued against the legalization of same-sex marriage, claiming it contradicts the traditional cultural norms of India. They even suggested the formation of a committee to address LGBTQ plus rights and protections more broadly, which the Supreme Court has accepted. How does this ruling resonate within a wider Asian and global context, especially considering that less than 40 governments worldwide recognize same-sex marriage? It certainly puts things into perspective, Grace. In Asia, it's not just India wrestling with this issue. Countries like Thailand and South Korea are also undergoing similar discussions on marriage equality. As of now, only Taiwan and Nepal legally recognize same-sex marriages in Asia. Globally, it's a mixed picture, with less than 40 governments acknowledging same-sex unions. Chief Justice D.Y. Chandrachud supported marriage equality but pointed out it's the parliament's role to make decisions on marriage laws. What exactly does this mean? This signals two things, Grace. First, it highlights the division of powers within the Indian political system, with the judiciary being cautious not to overstep its boundaries. Second, it underscores the need for parliamentary action on the issue. With the government now tasked with the responsibility of establishing a panel to consider these rights, the chances of any decision being ratified in law hinges on parliamentary support. Considering this ruling, what are the implications and the way forward for LGBTQ plus rights in India and broader Asia? Well, the immediate implication for the LGBTQ plus community in India is unfortunately more of the status quo, bearing in mind continuing reports of harassment and discrimination. However, the silver lining is that it seems to open up more dialogue on LGBTQ plus rights, both within India and in other parts of Asia. The fact that these discussions are happening at all marks small but significant steps forward within the larger struggle for equal rights. These are indeed potent issues, ones I'm sure we'll continue to follow closely. Thank you for your insightful analysis, Ethan. Sources 1. South China Morning Post 2. Z Business 3. Unnamed Source That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the 11 Labs Text-to-Speech API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.